Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Pilate's question, what is truth? The basis of the sermon series that we're going through, both an ancient and very modern question all at the same time. It's a pursuit that everyone has to discover what is truth and what can be counted on and what can't. As we look at the truth that, that God brings to us today, and we look at Jesus' response that everyone who listens to him is listening to the truth, we see that God wants us to have comfort and peace in that message. We'll again look at the last verse, John 18, verse 38. What is truth, retorted Pilate? With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. All right, I don't consider myself to be a huge movie critic or buff or anything like that, but, but maybe some of you out there are. And so what I'm going to do today, I'm going to put four iconic movie scenes on the screen. And I want you to, with those close to you, or if you just want to do it by yourself, that's okay too. I want you to think about the name of the movie and the famous line that is a part of that scene. Okay? All right, I'll give you like 30 seconds to count. I'll put them up. All right, let's try it. We'll start, with the, start in the upper left with this one. Okay, movie? Jaws, do you remember the line? You're going to need a bigger boat, right? It's right after he sees Jaws for the very first time. He says, you're going to need a bigger boat. How about the one in the upper right? The movie? The Sixth Sense. Okay, we got it. Do you remember the line? Yes, I see dead people. A little PG-13 on that one. Sorry about that. But yes, that is the iconic movie line. Bottom, bottom left, Forrest Gump, the line. Yeah, you can include the word mama said. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And of course, last but not least, bottom right, you can't handle the truth from a few good men, right? Maybe, maybe Jack Nicholson was on to something. The whole idea of handling the truth, right? The world in which we live doesn't want there to be an absolute truth, an objective truth, because it's kind of frightening. Handling the truth, as it's laid out for us in God's word, can be an exercise in wondering if we measure up, right? But at the heart, at the heart of God's truth is the message of salvation in Jesus. And that will never change. It will always be, will always be objective, no matter what is going on in our lives, and always be absolute. And that's the comfort that God wants us to have today. So what we'll explore as Jesus stands before Pilate with the idea that truth is absolute. First of all, it depends. Truth depends entirely on our God. He gets to define what it is. And then secondly, that truth exposes lies, the lies of Satan. It's almost hard to picture, isn't it, to imagine the scene as Jesus is standing before Pilate. Outside is a mob of angry Jewish people, all the Jewish leaders who want Jesus dead. And inside, Jesus is standing before the Roman governor. You can almost sense the drama, right? Pilate is sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. He looks at Jesus and he knows the man has done nothing wrong. But he looks at the crowd outside and says, unless I do something, I might have a riot on my hands. 
For Jesus' part, he knew. He knew that, that his very life was in Pilate's hands. Pilate was going to make the decision as to whether Jesus lived or died. And so you here we have Jesus broken and bloodied, weakened, standing before Pilate, and yet he can do so. He can stand toe-to-toe with the Roman governor because Jesus knew his purpose. He knew he had come to this world to seek and to save the lost. The Jewish leaders had pronounced him guilty, guilty of blasphemy, worthy of death, but they had a little problem, didn't they? They had no right to execute anyone. So they brought Jesus to Pilate with some other charges. He claims to be a king, they told Pilate, and a rival to Caesar. It didn't take much for Pilate to understand where their accusation had gone off the rails. Jesus, in appearance, didn't look like a king, really fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy, didn't it? In chapter 53, where he says that Jesus had no beauty or majesty, nothing in his appearance to attract us to him. Jesus didn't look like a king at all. But when Pilate asked him, are you a king? Jesus said, you're right in saying that I am. My kingdom is from another place. I've come to the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who listens to me listens to the truth. That got Pilate's gears going a little bit. What is this truth that Jesus is talking about? What is truth? That was Pilate's question. You see, in Pilate's mind, truth was completely relative. What was true today might not be true tomorrow. But Jesus was claiming that there was an absolute truth that people would listen to. We can understand a little bit what Pilate was thinking, can't we? Because that's the world in which we live. Truth is something that is temporary. Truth is something that is changeable. It can be different tomorrow than it was yesterday. So we struggle with how to define what truth truly is. Isn't it fair to say that in the midst of everything that's going on in our world today, it's hard to know where to get information that is factual. Everything seems to be spun one way or another, and so we simply, in frustration, want some facts, something that's based in reality, something that we can count on that's true. Maybe it's even more difficult when it comes to popular opinion, right? People's opinions have replaced facts, and if we feel strongly enough about something, the facts don't even matter anymore. Our opinion is all that really matters. We're no strangers to the difficulty with holding on to truth. Think about this, how easy it is when it comes to God's truth, when it comes to moral things, how easy it is for us to excuse our sins, to explain away our disobedience, how easy it is for us to twist what God says in his word to fit the way I think and the way I want to live my life. You see, there really truly is fear in absolutes. There's fear in absolute truth because if God is right and if God is the one who defines if I can have power and control over my life and say this is what truth is and it doesn't matter what anybody else says, then I don't have to worry about answering to an almighty God. My acceptance isn't based on what God feels but on what I feel. 
Maybe that explains a lot about how our world lives today. You've probably heard these phrases, well, this is my truth, or live, and aren't those versions of exactly what Pilate was saying before, as he stood before Jesus? What is truth? We all want to define truth in our own terms. Can I submit to you that the idea of my truth and your truth being different is, is it just completely defies logic? There can't be one truth for you and another for me. Either something is true or it's not. And when it comes to my truth, when it's different than the truth, then my truth is simply opinion. Even worse, the idea of my truth or living our truth, it really flies in the face of Scripture, doesn't it? Because it ignores that there is a truth that's laid out for us in God's word. That God is the one that side truth. You see, there is God's truth and there is no other truth. There can't be a my truth and God's truth. There can only be what God says. That's what's absolute. That's what God gives us in his word. When you think about that idea of truth, as Pilate asked that question, what is truth, he used an interesting Greek word to, to, that, that describes truth. The word is aletheia. And aletheia, if you split that word apart, really means not forgotten or not oblivious. In other words, it is, it's based on fact. That's what Pilate was asking. What can you show me, Jesus, that's based in fact and reality? What Pilate didn't realize is that truth was standing right in front of him. That truth was found in Jesus himself. That's the one source that we have for truth, our God. And his word, his son Jesus, who came to this life to live and die for us. You see, truth doesn't change whether it's popular or unpopular. It remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's always consistent. Truth is always truth. Yesterday, it was truth. Today, it's truth. Tomorrow, it will be truth as well. It's defined. In its very definition, truth never changes. We'll talk a lot more about that next week. You and I have something solid. We have something consistent, something that we can hold on to every single day because it comes from God's own word. In its very nature, truth is exactly what it, what it says it is. It is what we can hold to, rely on, count on every single day. There are no exceptions. I know it's not easy. I know the truth pill is sometimes a difficult pill to swallow because when we look at our lives and compare them to what God says in his word, we would like to define truth on our own terms. We would like to tell God how we can be right before him. But when God tells us how we're right before him, that takes all the mystery out of it. I want to practice just a little bit with a couple of Old Testament case studies for you to demonstrate what happens when we as God's people choose our truth over God's truth. Let's start all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God's truth was, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. My truth for Adam and Eve was, but I think it's going to be good if we do that. Their truth was, we're going we're to be more like God if we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
didn't work out too well, did it? Think about Abraham and Sarah. They had been promised by God that they were going to have a child and the years kept passing and they were getting older and further away from the ability of having children and so their truth became this. Well, maybe God didn't mean to fulfill that promise through me, Sarah said. So Abraham, here's my servant Hagar. Have a child through her. And he did. And while God blessed Hagar and Ishmael, it certainly caused trouble in that family, didn't it? If you want to read about that in chapter 16 and 21 of Genesis, you can see it there. Or how about Moses, who at age 40 decided it was time for him. His truth was that he was ready to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. He even went so far as killing an Egyptian slave master who was beating his fellow Israelite. And then he had to run for his life. And he waited 40 more years until God was ready to deliver him. You see how our truth, when it's different than God's truth, can never be right? But here's what's amazing. In all three of those stories, God is faithful. Even when we're not. As Romans chapter 3 said, as Ricker read before, let God be true and every human being be a liar. Look at what God did. In spite of the sin of Adam and Eve, he promised a savior from sin who would crush Satan's head. In spite of Abraham and Sarah not trusting him, God still gave them the son that they wanted, Isaac, who became the leader, ultimately having Jacob and all of those sons of the tribes of Israel. And then you have Moses, who led the people of Israel out of, the promise, out of Egypt into the promised land. God continued to be faithful to his promises. You see, that's what God's word does. It exposes lies. Jesus once said about the devil that when he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father of lies. See, Satan would like nothing more than to convince you and me that God doesn't care about us, at least not as much as he says he does. That God doesn't tell us the whole truth because he's somehow keeping something from us. God loves, God loves you, but Satan wants you to believe that somehow God's holding back, that he doesn't truly care about you as much as he says. And so I think of this. How freeing is it that you and I don't have to come up with our own truth? That we don't have to define truth for ourselves because God already defined it for us. It's found in his holy word. That's where our truth is. That truth is objective. What does that mean? That it's absolute and objective. It means it never is reliant on how you feel or how I feel. It never matters what our circumstances in life are. It's always true. It's always reliable. Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. The same Jesus who stood before Pilate took on our sins on the cross and defeated them. Jesus' salvation for you and me is a done deal. It's finished. It's complete. And our place in heaven is secure. That's what God's truth brings us. That's the absolute objective nature of God's truth. You never have to worry about waking up one day wondering if God still loves you because he promises that he does. And he promises that all the way to a life, with you, a life for you forever with him in heaven. 
That's the solid foundation of God's word that you and I base our lives, our lives on. Jesus spoke of it this way in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 when he, wrote, when he said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's the foundation on which you and I build. The objective, absolute truth of Jesus and his word. Some takeaways. Number one, there is one source of truth, God and his word. The devil is going to try to convince you otherwise. The world around us is going to try and convince us that it's bad to follow an absolute truth. But hold on to what God says in his word. It's certain and sure. Number two, truth is always truth. It is absolute and independent of popular opinion. I know this is hard to hear, but holding on to God's truth in our lives might make us unpopular. It might make us targets of others because if someone doesn't like what God says in his truth, holding to it isn't going to be liked either. But here's our confidence. Number three, Jesus is the ultimate truth and the sure foundation for our faith in life. You have built your house on a rock that cannot be moved, the rock of our Savior Jesus, a rock that guarantees that your place with him in heaven is secured. What is truth, Pilate asked. And yeah, that's a question that keeps getting asked over and over with every generation. And maybe it seems to you sometimes as you look around the world that, that, that truth is, is being lost. That the idea that there's an absolute truth is sort of, sort of fading away. But I want you to do something this morning. Just real briefly, will you look to your left? And then look to your right. That's God's truth sitting right next to you in each one of the pews that are here this morning. In the midst of all of the attacks on ultimate and absolute truth, God is still at work. He's at work in this church right here convincing people of the truth. He's at work in churches around our globe that are worshiping today, hearing that same message, holding on to the truth of that word because God's truth still matters. God's truth still convinces people's hearts and God's truth still means that we're loved and that we have a place with him forever in heaven. That's the absolute nature and the objective nature of God's truth. And it's a truth that you can count on. It's a truth that we can handle. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.